Hello and welcome to episode 233 of the Juice Box Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Erin. Erin is the mother of a child with type 1 diabetes, and we're going to go over a bunch of stuff today. We're going to talk a little bit about how Erin's daughter eats. We're going to get into using glucagon for emergencies and for non-emergencies, talk a little bit about DKA. This episode really flew right by. I just got done editing it, and I loved it. I hope you uh, do too. Today's episode is sponsored by Omnipod, Dexcom, and Dancing for Diabetes. You can go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box, dancing, the number four, diabetes.com, or dexcom.com forward slash juice box to find out more. There are also links in your show notes and at juiceboxpodcast.com. Long-time listeners know that it goes without saying that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise, and to always consult a physician before making any changes to your medical plan, becoming bold with insulin, or I don't know, you know, anything really. Just talk to a doctor first. This is just a podcast. Hi, my name is Erin Rose. You can call me ER. Um, my daughter, Isla, is the type 1 diabetic. She's six years old. And I have been listening to the podcast for a couple of years now. And my daughter has had diabetes for four years. And um, that's what brings me here. Very cool. Well, thank you. Not cool about the diabetes, but it was cool that you listened for a while. <laughs> so I'm going to call you ER. And sure. um, that will... I'm, I'm basically training my brain right now, just so you know. <laughs> um, and if you come out with something else, that's okay, too. <laughs> well, we're the only two people here, so you'll probably <laughs> respond, as I will, to almost any noise. Um, okay, so let's talk for a little bit. Isla was how old when she was diagnosed? Two. Two. Oh, geez. Uh, that's how old Arden was. That's, that's uh, not a great time. Uh, not that there's a perfect time, but, you know. No, it presents its own unique challenges. Um, but like you've said many times, she doesn't really know a life without it. So in that respect, it is easier. I guess if you can call it easier, it just makes it uh, easier to adapt, I suppose. Yeah. But, but, well, there's less to remember and less to lose. You, you right. Know. And then when she gets older... <laughs> She'll start seeing, and I'm sure she already has, she'll start seeing the inherent differences between her and people who don't have diabetes. But at least she's who she is at that point. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like she's got to be apologetic for it. Or um, I've been corresponding with somebody recently whose 11-year-old was just diagnosed, and they're having a really terrible time with it. Um, really, really just on every level, the child just can't adapt. And so now that, that, that kid's stuck seeing a therapist, which was the right decision. But I'm just saying, you know, in his 11-year-old life without the diabetes, he probably wouldn't be at a therapist. And, and you know, everything's changed for him. And I told the, the parents, I'm like, you will find your way through this. And it, it's going to be okay. But even for them now, they have all this stress and anxiety and things to worry about and costs that they didn't have before. So I agree with you. I'm, I, I, don't want to, I don't want anybody to get diabetes but if there's a perfect time, it's either when you're in, when you're like a Zen master or when you're too young to remember a life without it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, how is you know a diagnosis four four years ago at age two? Four years ago is 2014. So mm -hmm. in the hospital, I like to ask usually, what did they 
indicate to you you should be doing for management as far as technology goes at the hospital? Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> I mean, it, I look at it now and it's a train wreck and I think about how far we've come and, you know, how much we know. Um, so we were admitted in the typical way, the symptoms of DKA, et cetera. You know, it was new to us. We, we were clueless, obviously, at that point. Mm-hmm. And when we were told, okay, she has diabetes, we want you to use MDI for at least six months which in hindsight I think is ridiculous because at that point her insulin needs were so small that a pump would have made much more sense, which I know you've alluded to and talked about in the past on your podcast. And with the Dexcom, they mentioned it in passing but said, don't worry about it for now. Just figure out how to use insulin, how to check her blood sugar and get yourself home. Um, they, They offered us to stay several days. We stayed, I think, one night, we were like, this is her life. We need to figure this out. We're just going to figure it out on the fly. Cool. And, and obviously made some mistakes along the way. <laughs> I learned by doing, um, especially with a two-year-old that can't really express herself very well. So, And then about a month and a half in, when we had then been connected and met some other families, I insisted on getting the Dexcom. And I said, I can't imagine a life without it. I need it. Uh, so, and we were able to get that tool pretty quickly. And then about... Six or seven months into it, we got her on the Omnipod. And since then, she's been on the Dexcom and Omnipod. And now she's on the D6 and Omnipod. How did, how did you know to ask for a CGM? So I had helpfully been connected with some families through the JDRF when Isla was first diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And some families had shown me all their cool tech. And I was like, what's that? And what's that? And, you know, why am I doing this? And Um, and I saw the benefits of having it. And then I did research and realized I need this in my daughter's life, in our lives. And once we got it, you know, it was, you know, the light bulb went off and we were like, why did we not have this from the beginning? I, I truly believe that children in particular should be given it as a, as a mandate, uh, before leaving the hospital. Um, you know, so it's funny. So I, I come down on uh, like most things. I must be a modern. I come down on, I come down on like, I understand both sides of the argument. So I get, let you find out what it's about and make a decision about you on. I get the idea of this technology is, is so kind of mind bendingly life changing that it should be like, you should come through the door, like, you know, like a spaceship movie and somebody's like, you have diabetes slap. Here's this thing slap. Here's this thing. Go, you, you know? Um, yeah. I, and I see, I see the value on both sides of of the argument. I lean towards the way you're leaning. I think that, I think that if you can see the speed and direction of your blood sugar, then that's something you should know about. And I think that if you put it on somebody on day one and told them, "Look, this is just part of this now," then maybe fewer people would feel oddly about wearing something like that. Maybe they would just think, "Like this is something I need now," um, yeah. you know, and. It really is night and day, and I, I, I hate to I hate to say it because there's plenty of people who can't afford it, and it is it's if you don't have you know the insurance that covers it, CGM is expensive, and and at the same time, just today, and I I know I say this so much that people think I'm lying, but I swear to God, just today, an hour ago, literally an hour ago, I picked Arden up at school. Uh, she's got a half day today. An hour before that. She was 135 diagonal up. Her blood sugar just sort of jumped all of a sudden. 
I knew she was going to be home in an hour. I made an aggressive, aggressive bolus for the 135. Stopped at Deadness Tracks. By the time she got home, she was 86. Now at 86, I see a little diagonal down. I knew she's going to want to eat when she gets home. She says, you know, I'm hungry. Does it matter if I have something, you know, super carby or not? I'm like, it doesn't matter because we're in a good spot here. As she's saying that, arrow turns down. And I was like, hey, you have an arrow down. I'm like, go do whatever you want. Boom. She gets a bowl of cereal. And Arden has a giant bowl of Apple Jacks, which, by the way, I did not count carbs for. Um, I just bolused the amount I thought it was right. And her blood sugar right now, two hours after the 135 adjustment, a half an hour since the bowl of Apple Jacks is 94 and stable. Now, if anyone thinks they could accomplish that without seeing their blood sugar, I mean, you're that would be amazing. But I, I couldn't have done it. I, and I couldn't do it before. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, getting getting into the discussion about having access to the Dexcom, that's a whole other issue, which obviously is it's a, it's a big one and it's a heated one. And I, you know, and I wish there were a way to make it more accessible for everyone because it really is a life-saving tool and a tool that makes your life so much more functional and easier to just get on with your life, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's such a good point, right? Because in the old model, the idea is go live for six months. Some doctor's offices say a year, um, you know, go live with this. But that's the other part that I didn't get to. And is that while you're, you know, quote unquote, living with diabetes and quote unquote, figuring it out, you're experiencing significant psychological stress. And that's the part that nobody talks about. They always talk about the diabetes, like it's this, I don't know, like this structural thing in front of you that you can touch. They don't talk about the rest of it. When you when your kid's blood sugar is 300 or when your blood sugar is 300 and then it's 60 and then it's 50 and you're scared. I have an email now from someone who's frightened out of their mind because their blood sugar is falling and they don't know why. How is that a valuable lesson to learn? Like, okay, one day I can figure that out. I don't need to live like that for six months to know that I don't want that. I, right. I just don't, I don't get it. And And to affordability, you know, access is getting better. Um, I just put up a, um, a, a show yesterday, the other day with Costco, who's trying to make um, Dexcom less expensive for people who are underinsured or uninsured. And I think, but I think that until Dexcom uh, makes that next leap in their technology where they can shrink the form size of the CGM, I'm assuming bringing their cost down, I, don't, I think we're stuck at this plateau financially. But I think when that next leap happens, and, and I obviously don't know anything, but if you put me in charge of a business like that, I would say to myself, look, I can sell these things. You know, you know, Aaron, you can sell a cheeseburger for $100 and sell three of them and make $300. Or you can sell them for $3 and sell 1,000 of them and, you know, and make a lot more money. So I, I'm hoping that that's what happens. And I have my fingers crossed for that. When you go to dancingfordiabetes.com, now that's dancing the number four diabetes.com, click on the contact tab and scroll to the bottom. You can sign up for their mailing list. In the end, really, I just would like you to get connected with them somehow. Maybe it's through their mailing list, their Instagram account on Facebook. It really doesn't matter to me. Whatever's most comfortable for you. You know, wherever you spend your time. But I would love it if you found out more about Dancing for Diabetes. And those are just a couple of the ways that you can. Dancing the number four diabetes.com. Connect with them today.
So you're out of the hospital and you're on your way. And it sounds like you dove right in. Like you told them, look, let me out of the hospital. We want to get to this. What did you find in the early days? I mean, in the early days, obviously, Isla was honeymooning and we really didn't understand how insulin worked or the timing, delivery, uh, the, the insulin needs, the ratios, and also the, the, the types of foods to eat or maybe avoid or plan a little better. Mm -hmm. So in any given day, you know, we kept her log. We used to keep a manual log because this is before we had the Dexcom and the Omnipod. Yep. So for those first few months, we actually had a notebook that I was going to throw away. My husband was like, you can't throw that away. That's like a time relic, a time piece. Isla's going to want to look at that when she gets older and laugh because we would say, you know, 5 a.m., 400, you know, 9 a.m., 60. And, you know, <laughs> uh, so, uh, and this was just learning, you know, learning the ropes. That, it, it, that evened out pretty quickly. I mean, within the first year, her A1C went down significantly. And then after the first year, we've been, you know, she's had an excellent A1C, like below 6.5 since then. So, it, you know, we, we learned the ropes. but um, the first few months is in particular, we, you know, the morning we were in the hospital, they gave her, she had woke up with a blood sugar of 350 in DKA and the hospital offered her for breakfast, banana, Cheerios, and orange juice. And this is before I knew anything. And I'm like, okay, honey, here's your breakfast. Just here's the insulin for it. You know? Um, and I think about it now and I'm like, how is that even possible? That seems negligent. You know, it seems why was there not even a conversation at that point? But that that's another that's another topic for discussion. But I just it, it does shock me how you go into the hospital uh, and you're not really prepared for the obvious things. I think I think at least in my circumstance, I I learned by doing basically. Well, and I listen. I think that's got to be the case, right? Like, so it's nice to say. I wish that someone would have told me. And obviously someone should have said, you know, hey, Isla, listen, sweetie, special day. We're having bacon and ham for breakfast today or, you know, like like something like yes. that. And then and pulled you aside and said, look, her blood sugar is really high right now. Um, you know, blah, blah, blah. So let's just do this. Um, but when you stop and think about it, the person that brings the food isn't even the doctor. Right, it's just it's that service that they have. Oh, I know it's it, right? systemic, but it should be the doctor's orders, right? It exactly. should be the doctors and nurses on a systemic level talking about nutrition and the importance of food and nutrition, and you know when to eat certain things, and if this is the case, and maybe don't eat those things because you're just going to exacerbate the situation. And so, if we had a doctor sitting here right now, I'm guessing that they would say, "Look." You were in the hospital for a day. This was all just happening. We're still trying to get the kid's blood sugar to come down. The last thing we're worried about is a piece of toast and some Cheerios. You know, we're not, we, we don't want to they, – they would have a reason behind it. And it wouldn't be that crazy when they said it to you. But I think the problem is, and maybe the thing they don't see when they say that, is that now you, as a person who have no idea what you're doing and don't know anything about diabetes, think, well, her blood sugar was really high, but they still fed her like this. So it – it starts to reinforce the wrong things early on. And I always just use as a basic example, like insulin, like Arden uses a Pedra, which we love, but in the hospital, we were given Novolog. And so in my mind, in my like adult crazed, like, oh my God, my kid has diabetes mind. When someone handed me Novolog, I thought, well, this is insulin because the hospital gave it to me. And so then for years when Novolog didn't work well for her, I never thought twice about that. 
until another person who had been at this a little longer than me came around and said, have you ever considered trying other insulins? And I was like, oh, no. Could, can I do that? You, you know? And so yeah. it's funny what imprints on you early on is what I'm saying. So you could have – if you leave there, if you're a different person and you leave there and you don't go out into the world and look into these things, you could have just left thinking, all right, high blood sugar, low blood sugar, doesn't matter. Insulin, eat, go. You know, like it's just – it's – I don't think that's – I think that's the part the doctors don't pay much attention to is like what's what's happening in my brain? Like what's deep-seating in my brain right now or in my stress or in my anxiety that they're not going to see when I leave? And it's going to fight with me every day while I'm trying to deal with diabetes. So you got out of there quickly. Um, yeah. You found friends. You looked into, you know, gadgets. And how long before you were in a place where you felt comfortable? I would want to say about a year. I mean, I, well, it depends on what you mean by comfortable. By comfortable, I think, you know, her A1C is really well managed. We're not seeing these crazy spikes and drops. So I, I mean, I felt within a couple of months, I had an understanding of what insulin is and, you know, the need to treat a low or treat a high. But it did take about a year to really fully understand her body and her body's needs. And by that point, you know, you've experienced a cold, a stomach bug, whatever the case may be, and how to make adjustments. And when dealing <laughs> with certain foods, you know, not all carbs are created equally, um, learning that as well. Yeah. And, and so when you say you had to learn about how the insulin worked, I mean, I think that's the focus of this podcast. If, if As a matter of fact, if somebody said to me, what's your podcast about? I would say it's about understanding how insulin works. That would be my first sentence. Um, and did you learn that because of the Dexcom or did you find that out from other places? A combination. Yeah. Dexcom and you know, trial and error. Seeing that, you know, if she's having a resistant day to insulin, you need a lot more. Or if she's really active and it's cold, she's super sensitive, you know, little things like that. Or if you're going to be eating a pizza or a bagel pre-bolus, extend the bolus, increase your basal rate, you know, all these things that for me it was foreign language, to be honest, because sure. when we first got the pump, I didn't even know what a basal was, you know, of course, <laughs> um, you know, and it, it intimidated me. And, you know, you'd rather the, the thing you know than the thing you don't. So first getting on the pump, it was a big adjustment. And then that's why I'd say she got the pump about six, seven months in, and then it took another six, seven months for me to really understand what the pump is and how it works. And I think you were talking about how it, you know, it's like this really powerful rocket launcher or whatever. I think in one of your podcasts, you were alluding to that fact and yeah. instead of just using it to shoot darts or whatever. And I, uh, I, I tell people all the time when, I, when I'm speaking to Omnipod privately, and I just did it yesterday, actually. And I said, I always say, I'm like, you hand people a, a rocket launcher and you tell them to kill flies with it. Like it's, it, yeah. does, it does so much more than this. It's so much more powerful than this. How can you tell them it's a fly swatter? And, and, and an insulin pump is not is not just it's it's not just a way to avoid getting injections. It's so much much more than that. And it's a disservice to pumping to, you know, to to think of it that way. Now, in pump companies defense, not just Omnipop but all of them, they are not doctors and they're not allowed to give you medical advice. And as soon as they start telling you about like, they can tell you, look, you can set an extended bolus on this pump. They're allowed to say that in their documentation. The minute they start telling you when to or why to, that's medical advice and they can't do that. Right. And so they're stuck, right? They're the company that sells you the pump. 
And the doctor's supposed to be the person who tells you, now, let me amend that. The doctor's the person we expect to tell us how to, when to use the insulin, how to use it. But if we really step back, and and it's interesting, ER, we're going to go in a direction you didn't expect, but kind of behind the scenes, I spend a lot of time pressing the medical community to be more upfront with people early on. And I keep thinking the same thing. I just, just is occurring to me as we're talking, like it's their job, it's their job, but it's probably not their job. The ER doc's job is to take your kid with the incredibly high blood sugar, bring her blood sugar back down safely, give you the tools you need and tell you to go visit an endocrinologist. Like right, that's, that's really their job, right? Yeah, that's, that's all they do. Right. Yeah. Now the question is when we get to the endocrinologist, why do they then treat us like we can't handle any information? And I would have to agree to that. I mean, I, I, I'm going to just step in for a second. I, yeah. I think this is one of my biggest problems with <laughs> endocrinologists. You know, we, um, being told what to do, what not to do. It took us a while to get on a good rapport and find someone we really like and, um, and who understands us and who, who gives us the freedom without making us feel guilty, basically. You know, I wasn't taught how to pimp basal or even really change her basal rates or, you know, uh, extend the bolus, these sort of things. I learned this all by doing and by reading blogs and, you know, by listening to your podcast and, you know, just doing my own research and learning as I go. And I agree with you. Like, why is this not taught? This should be something, you know, when you get the pump, this is what your endocrinologist should be teaching you what to do. Right. I, I, <laughs> and, and, and so the common wisdom is I can't tell people the first time I meet them or the first couple times I meet them this incredibly confusing stuff because what if they don't follow it? What if they take these ideas home with them and do it wrong? And so I'm going to go back to something I've said before because it, the conversation is really leading in that way. In, in society, we look at a classroom with 20 kids in it, right? And say three of the kids are brilliant and three of them are really challenged and the rest in the middle, these other 14 kids, they're pretty average kids. We don't teach to the average kids. We don't teach to the brilliant kids. We teach to the three kids who are having trouble. Like the idea is it's a compassionate thing. I don't want to leave those three behind. But what that does is it drags the other 17 down to the least common denominator of the conversation, which is now unfair to them. So the, the idea is when I don't know which one of you are the three bright kids in the class, I don't know which one of you are the three challenge kids in the class, I don't know which one of you are the 14 you know, average kids in the class, how do I, how do I teach you something? Like wh where do I start? And so I think sometimes what they're saying is, look, I need time to figure out if you're able to follow what I need to tell you. And so you're interesting because you fall right into, there's, there's pretty much two segments. There's the kind of people who get doctor's advice and follow it blindly to the point where they literally have pains in their stomach because they see things go wrong in their, you know, with their kids or with their, their blood sugar, and they can't bring themselves to disobey what the doctor said. And there are people like you who are like, well, I got to go figure this out right now because this doesn't seem right. That's a personality situation. And yeah. so, and so I think that's what it is. But so, you know, that's the question is how do you, it, it, it really is on you to look at the doctor early on and say, look, I understand you don't know me but give it all to me right now. And how would you even know that that's something you need to do? So it's such an imperfect situation. Yeah, you know. It is. And it's all hindsight, I think too. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at, and the doctors are only doing their best and what they, 
can do within their limitations and with liability, like you said. So I, I get it. I do get it. Yeah. Um, but, but now personally for you, how incredibly frustrating was it? It was, it was very frustrating. And you know, it, we kept lowering Isla's A1C and her doctors kept saying, Oh, it's getting below 6.5. Like, I don't like that. And I'm like, well, if you look at her data, she's, you know, she's in her target, Mm-hmm. Like between 75 and 150, like 80 to 90% of the time. I really don't understand what the problem is. You know, we're not achieving this by having her hang out at the 50 all the time. Right. Um, and and her most recent A1C went down to 5.8. And her endocrinologist, who now is an actual type 1 herself, she's like, you have an A1C of someone who's almost not a diabetic for a six-year-old. That's amazing. And it, it just made me feel so much better to realize, like, I'm actually doing really well. Like, I'm doing this, and I'm not, you know, and not at the detriment of her suffering and being low all the time. Like, yeah. there's someone here who gets it, and that's why, you know, and it took a long time to find that. And I think, from my perspective, that's just exciting because what it means to me is that if that my assertion is that if you give people good information up front – those 17 kids in the class will do good things with it. The other three are going to need more direction, but that's how you find out who they are in the scenario by giving them the information and seeing them get a 70 on the test, right? Like, so identify them early instead of just almost being insulting to them and teaching down to what you think their level is, figure out what their level is and then help them get beyond it. Like it's such a simple concept, but we, we always do it we always do it wrong. Like as a society, we always just err on the side of caution. It's always like, well, we don't want to leave anybody behind. Well, I don't want to leave anybody behind either, but let's find out where we're all starting so we know what to say to those people because those three people need different direction than these 14 and those three and et cetera. And so I just, I'm excited that you got good feedback from your doctor because far too many people will contact me and tell me the opposite. They press, they get pressed just like you described in the beginning, but then it goes on and sometimes they buckle to it. Sometimes they don't have the nerve to say to the doctor, look, we're getting this 5'8". She doesn't have any crazy lows. We're in range. You know, this is doable. Yeah. Um, That's terrible too. That is. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm really glad we're in a place we are and found, you know, the person we have. She's great. Well, that's, and you know, it's funny. It's a little bit of dumb luck, right? Like it's just, it's your personality lent itself for you to be an advocate for yourself. And for your daughter. It's really cool. I mean, it's, 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 it's absolutely, it's, it's the goal. It's the hope for everybody. How would you like to make diabetes treatment decisions with zero finger sticks? Well, you can with the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor. And I'd like to tell you more about it right now if you'd like to listen. What's that? You're going to listen? That's excellent. Thank you. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to do it with you right now forward slash juice box. There we go. Oh, it's a pretty little web page that pops up. And all you do is click on the green button that says get started with Dexcom. There's information and pictures, but the green button get started. Here's what it asks me. Personal information, name, email address, phone number, address, patient's birth date. And they can answer. Ooh, here they go. They ask you a little information about like what kind of diabetes you have. Is it type one or type two? Do you have gestational? Are you currently using insulin injections, pills? Do you have an insulin pump? Managing with diet and exercise? This is for everybody. And then you just tell them about your insurance. I have private insurance, public insurance. And then you submit. Then they get back to you. And you get started. I mean, really, I don't know how much easier it could be. I guess somebody could come to your house and like click the buttons for you. 
but I mean, honestly, this is something you can do. And I really think you should do it right now. I want you to imagine a world where you can see the speed and direction that your blood sugar is moving in so that you can make treatment decisions that will move things in the direction that you want instead of in the direction that diabetes seems to be dictating to you. Go to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Click on that green button. Fill in your information. It's a whole new world when you do. Now you are achieving the um, the A1C and the levels with like kind of a modified paleo diet. Are you still doing that, or how do you how do you so, eat? So I mean, yes, and I would say I I I alluded to it in one of my emails. I honestly I can't remember at this point, but yes. So we do fairly low glycemic, low carbohydrate on during the week. Mm-hmm. Having said that, if she comes home and says, I want popcorn or let's make brownies. I'm like, okay, we can do that. You know, we'll make it work. Mm-hmm. We find a way. Like, I generally try and do low glycemic and paleo, but there are occasions where she's out with friends and there's pizza and there's this and she wants to have it. She's going to have it. You know, we just make accommodations. I just know that it's, it makes it a lot easier and she's, more responsive to insulin, you know, the, the, the less carbs she has. So I wouldn't say it's completely restrictive. And then on the weekends, we eat whatever she wants and she eats whatever she wants. So if she wants a bagel, if she wants to go for pizza, if she wants the ice cream, we just, you know, we do it. We don't even think about it. Yeah. We just, I try and, and I, I look at it more from a health perspective rather than diabetes. And I always tell her that as well. And it, because it's me too, I eat that way as well. It's not, and I don't have type one, mm-hmm. you know, it's, we try and fuel our bodies with nutrient-dense food, which is vegetables, whole grains, fruits, lean proteins, you know, lots of water and hydration and lots of activity just to maintain a happy, healthy diet and to grow to be big and strong and healthy. And, it, you know, it's not about diabetes, but eating a starchy, carby diet is not good for anyone. And I'm always, you know, reinforcing that point with her. And and I think and she gets it because she's, you know, I think she does get it. And, you know, we watch cartoons and things like that so she can understand you know and read books as well at, at her level about nutrition and health and so, cool. she, so she understands that it's not mommy saying no carbs carbs are bad that's i don't believe that at all i think that we make the smart choices to eat the right types of carbs that will make us feel good we call it go food versus woe food so go food is something that makes you want to go and give you energy and run and play and the woe food is the you know the sugary starchy things that maybe you don't feel so good after you eat that's so that's excellent and for a number of reasons but let me let me say this I think that when you do a podcast um you say things trying to give people a hope that's what I do here right like if I tell you Arden ate apple jacks and her blood sugar I got her blood sugar to stay at 94 that's not to tell you that Arden eats apple jacks every day because there's a box of Apple Jacks in our house. It's probably been here for so long. I'm pretty sure she probably just had stale cereal. You know, like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's I use those as examples because you know it's an example of what you can accomplish with the insulin. It's not an example that you should eat Apple Jacks every day. And I kind of think that most people who hear that understand that it's common sense. But there are some people who are so kind of fervently against carbs that when they hear that. They'll, you know, contact me privately. I've been attacked openly online a number of times. It's like you're you're telling people to eat a high a high carb diet. I'm like, I didn't say that. I I never said that. Arden had a a turkey stuffed pepper for dinner the other night. You, you know what I mean? Like the night before that, she had 
uh, chicken that was lightly breaded with broccoli and a tiny bit of rice. It was, you know, like that we eat like, like, you know, human beings. And then periodically there's cereal or bagels or stuff like that, or pancakes. And that's the stuff when you can understand how to use insulin for those things. Well, then the stuffed pepper with, you know, is right. It's, it's a walk in the park. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah right. park. yeah. Right. And, and so having you say that to me makes me think we need to stop labeling how everyone eats. I'm high carb. I'm low carb. I'm, you know, I eat moderately. We do a little paleo. We do, all people are saying in all those regards is like, look, I, you know, I'm just trying not to eat ho-hos all the time. It, right, you know, I think like, people are just trying to be healthy, right? right. I mean, and, and also you put it in perspective. Isla is only six, weighs less than 50 pounds. So for her, 15 carbs at breakfast, 30 carbs at lunch, and like maybe 30 to 40 at dinner is a lot. That's, sure. I mean, but not, but like a normal amount, like a healthy growing girl, you know, eating the right sort of carbs. Like we make these choices. We're going to eat quinoa and vegetables and, you know, like you're saying turkey or whatever. We're not going to have box mac and cheese every night, you know? <laughs> right, right. We're, we're very simply years ago, I realized my, my son was going to be a chicken person. Like the kid was just going to eat chicken constantly. And when I first had him, I was young and, and we were thought to give him a chicken nugget. I went to the grocery store. I went in the freezer section. I bought a bag of chicken nuggets. Now this is an indication that I grew up broke and not well, like, you know what I mean? Like my family wasn't thinking about health. It took me a few months and I thought, I can't do this. Like, why am I, I don't know what's in those frozen bag of chicken nuggets. So now I go out, I buy chicken breast, I cut it up into smaller pieces and I take the time to bread it and cook it in an oven. The first number of times I did that, my son was like, this is not chicken. Like he, you know, and (laughs) he fought against, I'm like, you better just shut up and eat it. And so he ate it and he got accustomed to it. Yeah. And and you know. You raise your kid, they develop a taste for it, for real food, for real vegetables, for different textures. And And I. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, I never catered to the whole, you know, kitty food. I I always was like, you get what you get and you don't get upset. Like, this is what we're having for dinner. And, you know, if you're hungry enough, you'll eat it. (laughs) (laughs) Are you from the Northeast? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) Um, I agree. And so, and, and I agree moreover that the problem or one of the pitfalls, I shouldn't say the problem, but one of the pitfalls of social media and, and us interacting with each other in kind of like these, you know, like uh, car accident ways where we don't see each other coming, then all of a sudden we're together in this idea and then it's over real quick and we all try to make our point, is that we oversimplify conversations. So if you were to tell me that you were not letting your child have any carbs at all, I might say to you as an overarching way to make my point, gosh, what are you going to do when they get to college the first time they want pizza and they don't know how to bolus for it? And the problem is, is that severely oversimplifies my position, right? Like, I don't care if your kid eats low carb. I don't care if your family eats low carb. I think that's there's a perfectly reasonable and healthy way to do that. Um, just like I think there's a perfectly reasonable, healthy way to be a vegan. You know, there's ways to accomplish it. I'm just saying, understand the insulin first. Because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring or what five years from now is going to bring. And when the, when it comes, we all need to understand how to do it. Or, you know, all this good work you put into your kid's health for the first 10 years is going to go out the window the first time they, you know, sit down in the cafeteria at college and can't manage themselves. Let's surf the internet together one last time. Myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. 
Well, 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 what do we have here? It seems I've mistyped the word juice box. So when you misspell juice box, you get a picture of a lovely man fishing in a river. Looks like he's wearing an Omnipod. Ah, but when you type it correctly, <laughs> there we go. When you type in myomnipod.com forward slash juice box correctly into your web browser, you're taken immediately to a page that allows you to request a free experience kit, a peck, a pod experience kit. You can see it right here on the page. They're gonna send you a little quick start guide, a non-working demo pod that you can actually wear and try for yourself. It asks for a tiny bit of information, name, address, email, phone number, what type of the diabetes you have. You just have to say here that you're over 18 or the parent or guardian, and that's it. Request your experience kit. Big red button, you push it. Let's pretend now that you've pushed the red button and your pod experience kit has arrived at your home. You or your child is wearing it now and you're realizing, hmm, I don't even notice I have this on. And then you think to yourself, wow, wearing this, that would be better than shooting needles into me all day long. I can just push a button and send in the insulin and there's no tubing. I'm not attached to anything. It's this little thing I'm wearing and that's it. And then a light bulb goes off in your head. It's as if the angels sing, like that, except musically. And then you'll realize, Scott was right. I should get an Omnipod. Myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. Listen, if you get an Omnipod, you'll never have to hear me sing again. So, I mean, it's a win-win, really. Okay, so ER, in your email, you also said you thought it would be really interesting to talk about glucagon, and I do too. Okay, great. Have you had any situations where you've needed to use glucagon? Yes. So um, that was the reason why I suggested it. I know it can be scary and overwhelming, uh, and I thought it would be helpful to, to walk people through it because for a lot of people, it's just this red box that sort of just sits there, and you're told maybe once what to do with it, and then when the time actually comes, you might not be sure or overwhelmed or, you know, there might be a lot of, there's usually a lot going on at that point in time that brings you to the point of actually necessitating glucagon. Mm -hmm. So we've had to use it twice. I can walk you through the two times. And then there was a, you know, I just wanted to really talk about what it is, how it works, that sort of thing. Absolutely. So these were emergency situations? Yes. Not, not like, hey, my kid's blood sugar is 50 and it won't come up. I'm going to give him a little bump of glucagon. Like you were thinking this was a seizure or a potential one? Almost. So the first time <laughs> Isla, that was my daughter, she was three, she had been at a birthday party, got bolus for cake and pizza and all the usual things and candy, and then started, uh, came home and started projectile vomiting. So she had gotten some sort of stomach bug, you know, with kids get, and she wouldn't keep juice down. We tried, we waited, gave her water, gave her juice, and then it, she, you know, she just kept vomiting. And we knew at that point... The monitor was saying low, checked her finger, it just said low. So, and she was about to go out, you know, she was eyes rolling over, that sort of thing. Yeah. She had just, you know, basically thrown out her, the entire contents of her, her poor little tummy. Mm -hmm. And um, so we ripped out the glucagon, we administered it, and then we took her to the emergency room and got her Zofran, which is a caveat. I do, well, I just, well, it's on my mind. I want to recommend everyone should have a prescription for Zofran in their house, an anti-nausea tablet. So if you encounter a similar stomach bug situation, it can help you prevent flows like this. You can take it. 
and then you can stomach swallowing juice. Okay. So, so you don't, that's just a caveat. I didn't want to forget that point. So no, I want to, <laughs> I want to recommend that to everyone. So we don't go anywhere now when we travel, we always have two glucagons and Zofran. So that was the first occurrence. And then more recently in December, actually, this just a couple months ago now, I mean, by the time you air it, it might be later. But for me in, in real time, it was about a month ago. Isla was fighting a virus, so she had just had really stubborn blood sugars. And we're not talking seriously high, you know, 180, 200, just it wasn't budging for several hours. So we changed the pump. And whenever she's high for more than two hours out of practice, I like to give her a shot just to make sure she doesn't stay high for more than two hours. Mm -hmm. It's it's just something I like to do. So if she's above 180 for more than two hours, I usually give her a shot anyway as a matter of practice just to get her down. So... We gave her the correction. We waited an hour and 45 minutes. It's still not budging. And at this point, we're then about to eat pasta for dinner. And we had been traveling, so she was tired, sick, you know, all of these uh, compounded elements that make you resistant to insulin. (laughs) And so I pre-bolused an aggressive correction and and for the pasta. And then she decided, I'm not eating the pasta. And at this point, she now had like five units of insulin on board. And for her size, that's a lot. Sure. You know, her correction ratio is, just for to give you some idea, it's one unit corrects roughly 70 points, and at dinner, it's one to 20. So five units is a lot. You yeah, know, we yeah, were crushing her blood sugar. We were bolusing for like 50 carbs of pizza, pasta. Cause I, I, <laughs> and then she decided she wasn't eating, so I immediately gave her a candy cane, suspended insulin, and gave her 20 carbs of juice. But at that point, I feel like all the insulin just was a perfect storm came crashing down. And I no amount of juice was going to, you know, stop the drop effectively. Yeah. So I she had had over 30 carbs. I thought I would cover it enough with the, you know, fast acting juice and the candy cane. Um, and she was lying down. She was disengaged. She couldn't she wanted to read and she couldn't. And my husband like. She's low, get the glucagon now. And I ran over and just, you know, and at that point she could hardly walk. Her eyes were all glossed over and she, you know, she was about to go. So we had to then give it to her then. So that was the second time. And I, so yes, those are the two incidents uh, that we needed to administer it. Right. How did you find the process? Like, so it has to be, you know, I don't, I hope everyone's looked at their glucagon so they understand how to use it. And a, a great, you know, a definite pro tip would be once they expire, use them, you know, open them up. Yes, that was actually free, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was something I was going to say. Well, yeah. you have the expired ones, practice with them, right. you know. And once um, you're practiced enough, give them to the school nurses so they can practice with them too and proxies at school because they, because it's powder in this, in this, you know, uh, in this glass tube, and then you get the needle. The needle has to. The needle has liquid in it already. The liquid has to go into the powder. You have to mix right. it up, then pull it back into the needle. You know, it's there's a lot of there's yeah. a lot of steps. And it's and it's a high stress situation. Usually, you don't come to use it in most. I mean, unless you're mini dosing, which is another topic I actually wanted to allude to. But if you're mini dosing because you're you know just not feeling well, uh, it's slightly less stressful situation. But in these, you know, emergency situations, you know, you, you have to act quickly because you don't have minutes to waste, basically. And do you know, um, but maybe I'm just saying something, but for the, that you know, but so when you inject this glucagon into you, there's, I think, a, an idea that the liquid in this powder is what's going to bring your blood sugar back up. But what it actually does is it forces your so, liver, yeah, right? Yeah, so I, yeah, so I, I was going to explain so that, and that's right. What it does is 
the liquid does not bring your blood sugar up. It triggers your liver to release glucose effectively. And then that will, is what brings your blood sugar up. But what happens is it triggers your liver to release pretty much all the glucose reserves you have in your body. Yep. So what happens then as a result, your blood sugar spikes pretty high, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's a superficial high. And there's a few caveats. So what happens is, yes, firstly, it triggers your blood sugar to go very high. But in doing so, it releases all the glucose reserves you have in your body. So what that means is for the next several hours, and it could even take a few days for your body to build up their glucose reserves again. So that means you'll be more sensitive to both insulin and sugar effectively. So you have to err on the side of caution and bolus very conservatively. So like this is not the time to be bold with insulin effectively. If you find yourself in a position where you've had to utilize glucagon, you almost want to do, you know, bolus half the carbs and then maybe see where they are within a half an hour, see what their arrows are doing and then make a decision based on that. You want to be very, very conservative because they have no glucose reserves left in their body at that point in time. And also after you administer glucagon, it will obviously spike your blood sugar, but it will come down as well. So you don't want to then treat that blood sugar. So it will, it can make you blood sugar go up to 300, 350, even for a few hours. But if you watch it, it will go down. So, you know, you give it like three, four hours, um, maybe in the, and I think I remember her endocrinologist, maybe you, you know, you would want to talk to a doctor about this. If you find yourself in a position where you need to use it, you call your endocrinologist, obviously. But, um, they had said to us, wait at least three hours and don't correct unless she's above 350 for more than three hours. So, cause we, because there's no glucose reserves left in her bloodstream. Mm-hmm. So, so we had waited three and I'm like, and she had gone from like 380 to like 300. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, watch this and um obviously stayed up all night because i was nervous yeah. <laughs> um and then she fully crept down and then by four hours later she was 200 trending down so i obviously didn't correct anything and at some point even in the night she got low and needed juice and this was like eight hours after administering glucagon so she obviously you just have to ride the wave basically yeah because then, because what you're saying is to be to be 100 transparent is that if you use glucagon and your liver expels all the glucose it has saved, you can't use the glucagon again eight hours later because right. there's no there's no store of glucose in your liver at that point. Right, so, and that's, and that's right. also why you want to eat and drink as much as you can stomach, basically. So without really treating for it, to be honest, like you don't even want it. Like you want to have some juice and some slow-release carbs, assuming you're not having a stomach bug. So at least you're eating food and you can rebuild glucose reserves as quickly as possible. Gotcha. So, so it recommends, I think you eat at least 15 to 20 carbs after you've had to administer glucagon so you can build up your glucose reserve. So we ended up at that, over the course of that night, she, I think she needed like three juice boxes or something because she just kept dipping down. And even though we had a lower basal, you know, we didn't want to have no basal. So we had to just keep giving her juice throughout the night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, and you're super sensitive for the next sort of few days. So you just need to play it safe. You might spike more than you usually do after you eat a meal, but you have to know that this is, you know, like a sick day policy. It's not a normal, you know, scenario. You don't treat insulin the same way when you're coming, recovering from the use of glucagon effectively. Yeah. Now, so you handled it much better than I did. Arden, many years ago when she was really little, once right after she was diagnosed when she was two years old and maybe a year or so after that, I, so twice I gave her insulin that was too much. 
and she had a seizure. So that was like, you know, gone, like just glassy eyed grunting, you know, just scared out of her mind. You couldn't really touch her because everything frightened her. Um, right. and, and we got her out of both of those with glucose gel in her cheeks. Now that was lucky because the first time I just, I opened up that glucagon and I realized I didn't even know how to do it because the, the because the doctor says to you, Hey, this is the glucagon. It's for emergencies if they have a seizure. And then the next thing they say is don't worry, you'll never need it. Yes, we- they do. They say that. Why do they say that? Well, because they be, well, and here's they don't the, want to scare you. Yeah, right. I That's know. the psychology behind it. Is they don't want to send you like you've just been diagnosed. They don't want to be like, hey, look, this is for when you inevitably have a seizure. What they should say is, this is for if you have a seizure. The likelihood of it is really incredibly low, but it could happen. So pay attention while I show you how to use this, because right, as soon as my right. like, as soon as my brain heard it's never going to happen. I was like, I have enough other stuff to think about. I didn't pay right. attention how to reconstitute the the um, the glucagon. I was completely lost when I opened it up. I felt like an idiot. So yeah, yeah. So you do you do need and practice like you said, practice with the expired ones. Um, and also, it's good for twenty four hours. Once you mix up that magical cocktail, okay. uh, you can keep it in your refrigerator if you need it. Like let's say you're dealing with a stomach bug or the flu or something like that, and you're mini dosing, uh, you can keep it for twenty four hours. Um, and, oh, and to the point of mini dosing, I don't, not, I've never done it. So go ahead and tell me about it. So mini dosing is effectively using glucagon to help with, like you were saying earlier with like stubborn lows in the fifties, but they're still cognizant, aware, talking, it's Mm -hmm. just not coming up. So you effectively make the, the mixture, you, you know, you prepare the glucagon as you would regularly, but then you use a regular syringe, um, and this is just good practice, by the way, because uh, the glucagon syringe has been known to break. I've read about this in certain scenarios. So I always back up regular insulin syringes and Isla's diabetes kit. If God forbid the glucagon syringe decides that today is the day she needs it and then the syringe is not working. So I, um, as a caveat, always keep extra syringes with her. Okay. And you use a regular insulin syringe and you dose based on roughly the age. So, you know, Baby to two would be like two units, uh, two units using an insulin syringe of glucagon. And then you add a unit for every year on top of that until you get to, I think, about 15. And then it's about 15 units. So, for example, Isla is six, get two units plus an additional six units for each year. That makes eight units of glucagon. And what that would do is it will bring your blood sugar up, but it won't completely deplete all of your glucose reserves because it's a smaller amount. And um, and it won't make you spike so hard. Okay. So, uh, and, I, and I would obviously, like you say, you know, you would want to talk to a doctor. You wouldn't want to do this without the advisement of a, your medical professional. But it's the, the availability is there. The option is there. And it works well if you've had a stomach bug or you're really sick and you just can't stomach the idea of more food or juice or whatever. Yeah. Oh, listen, um, this episode's getting an extra deep voice. This episode of the juice box podcast is, uh, you know, not advice situation. So I, because we are talking yeah. a lot about stuff that happened to you and happened to me that are, is really specific. Oh, definitely. And yeah, and it, it's very much specific and it, yeah, absolutely is not advice in any way, shape or form. And, um, it's, it's just, just what you know, happened to you. <laughs> yeah, just exper- just experiences of 
And you learn from it, obviously. You know, I think now I look back on it now and I say, oh, wow, I wish I knew about mini dosing because when Isla had her stomach bug, I would have done that and would have prevented going to 20 and almost having a seizure, you know. Right. <laughs> and now I know about that. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. We don't. And, then, we don't, and so we don't travel with glucagon all the time. But and I don't. I wouldn't. I. I don't even take insulin or pumps if we don't. If, unless we're going more than about a half an hour away from our house. So it just. It seem, I do. <laughs> and that's that's totally fine. People should do whatever they're comfortable with. I'm just saying we don't. But yeah. there are times still when I leave and I'm like, I take the glucagon and I like jam it in my pocket before we leave or something like that. But Arden doesn't like have one on her, I guess. Um, Okay. And, you know, you can make the argument that that's bad practice, and, and maybe it is. But I think that as you live with diabetes longer and longer, you get to the point where you're just like, I mean, there's like, what am I going to do? Like, am I going to walk around with a pharmacy with me for the rest of my life? Uh, and and if you're in a stable enough situation, you know, now you're just hoping against hope that one of those unforeseen things doesn't happen. But Arden was at, um, at physical therapy for her shoulder last week. And while we were there, her pump just expired. And I was like, how did we, like, like we just, it gotten past all of us. So we finished up, and you know, her blood sugar was like 112. And we finished up probably 20 more minutes of what she was doing, a 20-minute drive home. By the time we got home, her blood sugar was 185, and it was, it was rising, you know, just from not having insulin yeah. for 40 minutes. Um, and I bring that up because... Yeah. Because you you also alluded in your email about discussing ketones and DKA, which is also something I've never really talked about on the podcast before. So um, as a person who doesn't in any way regularly check for ketones unless so, – I know I sh- you know, unless she's sick, um, when do you check for them and, and how do you do it? I use a blood meter. How do you do it? Me too. Me too. And that's something I wish the hospital told me about sooner because for the first year I had pee on a stick. <laughs> you pee um, on your fingers is so, what you had so here. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we use a ketone meter and I, like you, usually only check if she's sick or if she's had a fever. Um, but having maybe like she woke up with a fever or if she's had high blood sugar for more than two hours, okay. which you know, fortunately, you know, we, we've got pretty good control. We rarely see her above 200. And if we do, it's almost never above 250 for more than two hours. Like, that's pretty unprecedented. Unless, like, there's some weird scenario, you know, yeah. which is, but it's not the norm. But if that does happen, for whatever reason, her pump fails, and then, you know, she eats a slice of pizza, and then the next thing I know, she's 300. You know, it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> for whatever reason, those are the scenarios. So above, above sort of 220 for more than two hours, just I think it's good practice check. Um, when she's sick, I check twice a day. I mean, call me a bit OCD, but I, DKA does scare me and I know it could go from bad to worse at the drop of a hat. Sure. So I, 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 I act pretty aggressively with it. And, um, yeah. And I think that's it. Just high blood sugar, not feeling well, fever, you know, the usual scenarios. I don't carry the keto meter around with me. I travel with it. Uh, you know, whenever we're away for more than a day, we do too. We <laughs> travel with it. We travel with it. But we don't, it's not with us. Like, you know. Yeah, I don't, yeah, it's not like in her day-to-day, she, her little, you know, diabetes bag or yeah, whatever right. with her, her stuff. Um, it's at home. I know where it is. And, you know, and, and if, and when she's sick, I, I do check twice a day um, after she's breakfast because you do get elevated starvation ketones in the morning. So you usually want to wait at least until after you've bolus for breakfast and had some water and you're hydrated. So like maybe an hour after and, breakfast. And, and, I then, think and then in the 
I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think it's important to say that to know if you have ketones when your blood sugar is elevated, it becomes important for another reason, not just to avoid DKA, but because those ketones require insulin to clear. Right. So if you have a 200 blood sugar that's been 200 for, like like Aaron's saying, for four hours, and you now have ketones present, you know, maybe 1.5 ketones, whatever insulin you think you need to move your blood sugar down, you also need an, an amount on top of that to clear yes. the ketones. Yeah, yeah. And lots of water, basically. Right, fluids. right. So, and so yeah. you, you are going to have to – and that's a scary proposition. I remember Arden had the flu early on. And she had ketones, and the doctor told me, and I didn't know what I was doing. I called the doctor. She's like, you need a unit. Give her a unit for those ketones. And back then, she was like seven, you know? And I was like, wait, what? She weighs like, you know, 45 pounds. And I was like, she was so little. And I was like, you want me to give her? She's sick. She's got the flu. She can barely keep anything down. And you're like, I'm like, you need me to give, you're asking me to give her another unit of insulin? I was like, I, and she's like, you have to. Yeah. Well, we, we do it. Like, we try, and I actually just got the flu on her birthday Happy uh, birthday. Yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> she had 105 fever, and we were in the emergency room with ketones on January 13th. So That sucks. <laughs> it did suck a little bit, poor thing. But she was <laughs> she, she's so cute. She thanked all the nurses for taking care of her on her birthday. Did they sing um, to her? They didn't sing, but they did all wish her happy birthday. But <laughs> the point I was making was treating the ketones. So we like to use things like coconut water or Gatorade. So... At least it has carbs in it, but it's also hydrating her. So you have less of a worry of them, you know, crashing down effectively. Yeah, Gatorade's so, what I used. So I over bolused and then yeah, she sipped at the at the Gatorade. The Gatorade or a popsicle or coconut water, some sort of like sugary liquid effectively that will help hydrate them, but also give you the sugar so then you're not going to crash. Yeah, and, 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 you know, true to form, exactly what the doctor told me, that the, that insulin cleared the ketones away. So, yeah, and it does. You Within a few hours, if you're aggressive with it and you drink a lot of water, within like two to three hours, you should see a noticeable drop. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and at some point, I mean, listen, also, it's incumbent for me to say here, contact your doctor and make sure they understand what's going on. And don't, you know, if you're not making headway at it for a while, then you might have to get to the hospital. And and like you said, like yes. DKA comes, it's nothing to joke around with. It will knock you over. It could kill you and it could, it could lay, right. you, lay you up right. for days right. at the very least. Right. So we, I mean, we narrowly escaped that on her birthday, basically. So she had come home with what we thought was a cold and she got progressively worse over the weekend. And by Sunday on her birthday, yeah. a few weeks ago, uh, she, she didn't want to eat anything. She didn't want to drink anything. She didn't want to open presents. And we had a thermometer that wasn't working. So we thought her fever was only slightly elevated, but not crazy high. Oh. And then we, my mom, who was in town visiting for her birthday, was like, this kid is burning up. And so I checked again, and it said 102, and I'm like, it must be higher. And then we also checked for ketones at that point. I had checked in the morning, but then by the afternoon, they were, I don't even remember, two point something. So obviously, I was like, we're going to the emergency room now. We're dropping everything, because she could be going into DKA within a matter of hours, basically. So yeah, yeah, uh, I have to ask you, when your mom pointed it out, did you first worry about Isla's health or did you think, oh, great, my mom is here acting like she knows more than me? <laughs> Maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> How disappointing was it when your mom was right? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, her credit obviously was right. And I knew I, I needed to take her in because she wasn't drinking and she yeah. had ketones, you know, so we didn't really have a choice at that point. Uh, and, um, 
fortunately, you know, they hooked her up to IV fluids and gave her a lot of Tylenol. And then within a few hours, actually, she rallied and was able to go home. We, the doctors were all like, I think it's DKA. I said, I think it's DKA. Mm-hmm. And then somehow she, that was her birthday present. She, it wasn't DKA, basically. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Arden's been in the hospital after her diagnosis only twice or only once about diabetes. And it was after she had the first seizure when she was like two, two and a half years old. You know, we had called a part of the panic. We were yelling and my son called 911 for us. Um, and so once the, you know, once the, the rescue squad and the cops got there, they were like, look, take her to the hospital. The second time we needed the glucose gel to stop what was clearly a, a seizure. Um, we got it stopped and got her stable and put her back to bed. And, you know, that was it. Because, yeah. you know, once you get to the hospital and you're okay, the hospital's sort of like, so you're okay? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, eh, all right, well. Yeah, yeah, it's true. The yeah. second time we used glucagon, we obviously called our endocrinologist to let them know, to keep them in the loop. But they were like, you don't need to go to the hospital. You've done this before. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Isn't yeah, that, I is know, that something? I know, I know what to do. You know, and we were out of town visit in my at my parents' house, actually, Um and and I felt comfortable, you know, I knew there was an ER nearby, I knew what to do, and I would just stay up checking her and make sure, you know, we had the, the tools and the resources and the experience. Um, but in the case of the flu, it's different and ketones, you know, you don't want to mess around. So if you have ketones, and if after a few hours, they're not responding, don't, don't, uh, don't delay, please don't hesitate. It's not, you know, it's not the same. And, um, you need the you need the help of a medical professional. You need probably IV fluid, you know, a lot more than what you can do at home, basically, to yeah. manage it. Um, so that and that was the case with Isla. Like we, if we had not gone, it probably would have taken a much worse turn than it had. And the reason she was able to go home after a few hours was because we went in and we responded and did what we did. So yeah. uh, that that's the takeaway from that scenario. Yeah. I mean, listen, it, in dire health situations, better safe than sorry is is absolutely the the word of the day. Like you, you, yeah. you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to be lying on your floor dying with an insurance card in your pocket. That's for sure. Like, Oh, I could have <laughs> gone to the hospital, but instead I thought I'll be okay. And now look at me. Like, you know what I mean? Like don't let things get so bad that, right. you know, it sucks that you have to go to the hospital if it comes up, but it's certainly better than the alternative. And at the same yeah. time, don't be a person who's running to the hospital constantly yelling, my blood sugar was 150 for two hours. Right, <laughs> like, yeah. right. I know. Of course. No, no. Yeah. It's, you know, exercise with caution, use common sense, that sort of thing. But DKA right. is is a serious Super matter, serious. and um, and don't you know you don't take it lightly, basically. So if you you present those symptoms of being sick, um, and having ketones, and it's not going away within a few hours, despite all your best efforts, now is the time to go. You know, the sooner you go in, the sooner you get out, basically. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, just a separate caveat, and that also reminded me, Tylenol does uh, impair the readings on the Dexcom. So they say that it doesn't. I know that they say that with a G6, but that's false. <laughs> okay, Her, so I don't have that problem. So you're saying that you, you're using Tylenol and you're seeing Dexcom readings that aren't? Yes, it went on the fritz, basically. And we, we only ever utilize it when she has a really high fever. We try and use children's Advil that reason pediatric advil um so it doesn't interfere with their interstitial readings or that they gather that the dexcom gathers but for some reason and they said that i and when i spoke with the rep you know i I called them from the hospital and explained the scenario when we were there when isla had the flu and they said oh it it can still happen it shouldn't but it can and it, it was happening you know it was okay um and they they obviously replaced the sensor and they said 
Uh, if you do need to use it, you know, if you're fever for the next few days, we recommend just not wearing a Dexcom for the next few days uh, because it's going to cause another one to fail, basically. Okay. So somewhere between the dehydration and the high, and the high fever and the Tylenol, something yes, about that cocktail yes. messed yeah, and with it. Yeah, was obviously having that high fever was severely dehydrated, and then um, and we, yes, basically. Yeah. No, I mean, listen. Here, in the end, here's what you're saying: in, in in a medical situation like that, when things are not normal, like you know the way you expect day to day, your precautions. You have type one diabetes. Your precautions go up. You have to be a little more. Um, you know, vigilant. vigilant is the, is the yeah. right word to start, you know, test your blood sugar a little more. Don't, don't just assume that, you know, I mean, listen, I tell people all the time, like I love Dexcom. It is absolutely at the core of everything that I do with my daughter. But if her blood sugar is 83 for six hours and the line never moves, I don't think I'm doing a great job. I think I should check that thing. Now, right. so, now sometimes right. her blood sugar is 83, but it's just, you can't get so complacent that you just say to yourself, this stuff's going to take care of it and I don't have to think about it. You're right, especially when you're sick because there are so many things. You're running resistant to insulin, you're dehydrated, and there's all the other things, and the Dexcom struggles to keep up with what's happening. Um, the rapid rise, the rapid drop, all that thing. Yep. So, it is. so, with, so with illness, I, you know, I'm, I, I would say we check our finger every few hours, like at least four or five times a day, just, you know, just to make sure we're, you know, we're where we think we are, basically. And that's, well, normally it's like twice a day. If I remember, <laughs> this technology <laughs> is far and away the best it's ever been on the planet for somebody living with type one diabetes. And at the same time, it's not year 3020, you, you know, like the, these, this comp Dexcom is a great example. They've been at this a decade. You know what I mean? The, when you look back 50 years from now, the G6 will be considered like the infancy of that technology. So it works as well as it works. And, you know, every time somebody like you has an issue like that, they learn a little more about it too, and, th and I'm glad you called them, and I'm glad I'm I'm glad when anybody does because they need to hear about stuff like that so they can make improvements and and make it more efficacious for everybody, you know, as we move forward. I I think it's listen, I think you did the right thing, and I think that I think bringing it up is the right thing too. Let people know like if the thing's acting wonky, it's acting wonky. Like don't just sit back and say, well, they said it was going to work. Like that's weird right but people right. do that by the way which is why i bring it up they always bemoaning things like well it said it was gonna do that i'm like well it didn't so yeah <laughs> you're just gonna sit there and pout like like get yeah. in the game you know do something so, about it yeah, yeah. oh my gosh <laughs> uh, so are uh, uh, you know, we are over an hour oh wow this is okay. usually you are such a good talker this was so easy for me thank you i um i this is usually the point where i ask you if there's anything we didn't talk about that you wish we would have no, I, I think, um, thank you again. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. I think it's been helpful. I, I tried to get through, you know, all the things I could think about, you know, that I thought might be helpful to somebody else. Um, you know, I'm not an expert. I'm not a clinical specialist, but I have some experience and I think I do a pretty good job. So maybe just like when I listen to everybody else speaking, I'm they might hopefully learn something too. Uh, so that's what I hope. Well, that people benefit from this. I guarantee they're going to, and I and I absolutely appreciate that you came on. the 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 core of what the podcast is is people's experiences. So, um, having people on who have different experiences than mine is how we get the conversations to go where they go. Um, absolutely fantastic episode. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. 
Ladies and gentlemen, and I'm being serious about this big round of applause for ER who came through today with the good information, sharing about her life with type one diabetes in a way that will help you. You know who else we're gonna clap for? Me, I was fantastic, me. I'm just kidding. Dexcom, Omnipod, and Dancing for Diabetes. We're looking for dancing, the number four, diabetes.com. You're gonna check them out. You're gonna connect with them. You're gonna go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box and get a free demo insulin pump today, right? The pod experience kit, you know you want it. And for those of you who want a Dexcom, the G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor today is the day to get started. There is no day other than today. Unlike today, better than today. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. You're going to get the Dexcom G6 and get to see what your blood sugar is doing, how fast it's doing it, so you can make the great decisions that keep you where you want to be. Two weeks from now, Jenny Smith will be back, and Jenny and I will talk all about getting your basal insulin set the first time. Just setting your basal. I received a number of notes from people requesting that episode, and so I bring it to you as you requested. Also, the show is now available on the radio.com app. If that's something you use and you like, the podcast is there too. I mean, it's honestly pretty much everywhere. It'll be on Pandora soon. Not yet. Let me roll through it real quickly where you can listen to Juicebox podcast through Amazon Alexa on your Android app. You can listen on Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, right at juiceboxpodcast.com on the radio.com app through Radio Public, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and even on YouTube. Of course, the show's available on all your Apple devices. You can just say to Siri, I want to listen to the Juicebox podcast, or look in the podcast app that's available on your iPhone, iPad, and coming to your Mac very soon. Did you ever do that when you were a kid? Just like, it's hard to put in words. You kind of like stop breathing and then just at the back, you, oh, oh, way out of breath. Okay. See you later. Oh, geez. Whew. Are you still here? Do you want more? Okay, I'll go one more time. I think I have too much air. Hold on. to pass out if you're still listening i want you to seriously like think just stop go into a dark room close your eyes for a second sit down and say to yourself what am i doing with my life i i stayed on a podcast two minutes after it was over and listened to a guy basically just make weird noises with the back of his throat and i um i think i need help just reach out to a friend or a family member and tell them i don't know when to shut off my podcasts and I, I, I need your help, please. Just, I mean, maybe someone will help you. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll look at you strangely and think, wow, you're an adult and you just can't, you can't just give up. Like you can't just say, obviously the guy is now just talking to see if you'll hold on. 
and why? Like, why would you do that? Like, why wouldn't you say to yourself, the podcast is clearly over. You know, I'm hoping you'll, you'll find someone like that in your life and, and that person will help you. Or that maybe this has helped you. Maybe you're just embarrassed at this point. Just enough to say to yourself, you know what, that's right. Next time the music plays and he tells me who the, you know, the ads were from again and what's coming next week, I'm just going to stop after that. I don't know what you're going to do. Honestly, I'm not judging you. You can do whatever you want. But I'm just saying, I mean, I mean, if I'm you by now, I would have stopped. Okay, seriously, if you have not shut it off by now, I want you to see a psychiatrist. At least a psychologist. I mean, whoever your insurance will cover, really. Don't go into a ton of debt. You know, I mean, copay, $20 a week. You go in, you tell them a little bit about, you know, you know, when I was growing up, my parents weren't great. And we moved around a lot or whatever your story is. And, you know, then the, the psychiatrist or the therapist or whoever you can find me. But go to somebody reputable. It's not just like some, like, you know, like bored housewife with a, like a degree. Like, you don't want that. You want, you want a physician. You know, somebody, a doctor, I'm thinking. And you sit down and you say, uh, you know, I don't know what's up. Like, there, I have a, this podcast, they told me all this great stuff about diabetes. And then, honestly, the guy went on for like four minutes afterwards. And I never shut it off. I could not stop myself. I don't know what they'll do. I hope they don't medicate you. I don't think you're going to need medication for this. But I think maybe they'll just teach you some coping techniques or some breathing exercise or something you might want to do to just, you know, help center yourself. Anyway, that's it. You know what the best part of all this is? Is that a minute after I stop the podcast, you're going to think it's still happening.